this week on Dig Me Out. You see, I met a devil named Buena Buena. And since I met the devil, I'm getting the same. Oh no! And I feel alright now, I have to tell you. I think it's time for me to finally introduce you to the Buena 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 Good Good Good. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, we're on the back half of 500, 501 this episode. It's all downhill from here. I can feel the momentum. Yeah, it's, it's pushing from behind instead of us pushing up. So it makes sense that 501, after our, our extravaganza of the Nirvana Nevermind uh, Ultra Roundtable, Avengers Roundtable, if you will. <laughs> yeah. That we... Uh, I would say so. We had all the superheroes. Right. That we reduce it right back down to the core element of you and me talking about a record picked by our patrons via poll that's how it that's how it happens and one of the people that can vote in those poll now jay is uh our newest patron david olivetti welcome david thanks for joining the union at patreon make sure you get your votes in on the next poll which i'm sure will be coming up very soon for august maybe this week Oh, let's see. What's the date? Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Maybe it's this week or next week. Jay with the knowledge. It's always fun the uh, to to reach in the hopper and see what comes out. Oh yeah. Well, you can always tell when um, there's like a run on. I get a whole bunch of suggestions at once. Like clearly there was yeah. a te- there was a tweet or something <laughs> that reminded people, hey, you can submit, and then you get like fifteen of those. Well, uh, and if you, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the Discord uh, server channel, there's a channel for uh, the submissions, so you can see them live as they come in. Yep. You can also see what we add to our box newsletter in terms of upcoming releases. Those show up as well, so you can track uh, new stuff that's coming out in terms of music and uh, books and uh, movies relevant to 80s and 90s music and really i mean 2000 stuff that you know that fits into that category if we can if we can make a connection we bend the rules a little right it's our podcast we can do what the hell we want <laughs> exactly we've we've earned the uh, the leeway after 500 to to do what we want i think so so jay for this episode i mentioned it was a poll our july poll 8 albums this was a close one i almost thought we were gonna have a tie and we yeah we did not but man oh man one vote uh, one vote difference and there were quite a few votes uh, 60 votes overall for for this poll which is pretty much you know one of the one of the higher end poll uh vote getters but there was a lot of good choices in here as well so for july we had uh, let's start at the bottom 
uh, with uh, at the bottom two votes. Sheep on drugs, greatest hits. That was a pick by um, Ian Wobble. And then three votes. Le Tigre's self-titled album. That was Vout Vlalmnik. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Correct. Correctly. 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 Four votes. Correctly, Tim. Yes, four votes. The Semantics Power Bill. That was a pick by Richard Waterman, which has actually been in, I think, more than once. Well, that is um, Owsley. The the Owsley Owsley guy, that album that we reviewed, uh-huh. some of those songs are on that Semantics record. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And then... Two, two or three of them. Gotcha. City of Crow... Or City of Crow... The Crow City of Angels soundtrack, five votes. That was a suggestion by Lars. Ulrich? I don't know. Possibly. Uh, With six votes, face-to-face, ignorance is bliss. Not an Eric Grubbs selection. That was Darren Lehman with that pick. Nine votes, Fugazi end hits. That was Joshua Robles. That was an early leader that i thought might might take it but yep. uh second place with 15 votes that dog's retreat from the sun which was the pick by brian collin lost by one vote to morphine's cure for the pain by gary moran pulled it out at the end that was a neck and neck race I really thought it was going to be that dog. That's just, it's one of those records that just keeps coming up. Um, mm-hmm. Or they have like three that have come up, I think. Well, that I, I should just say that band comes up often in our sort of little community circle of, um, you know, kind of fitting the definition of what we do. Lost and forgotten, but yep, appreciated. So we did have a, a quite a bit of chatter about this poll. On Patreon. Uh, in terms of people that talked about Morphine, you got Gary Moran, who was our selector. It said it's got to be Morphine, the best album by one of the most unique, legendary 90s bands. Mike Bond also said, got to go with Morphine. This is an album that I still listen to pretty regularly, and the blend of heartfelt indie rock and jazz still sounds fresh, kind of fresh and unique to me. The Tigre, That Dog, and Fugaz are all excellent records, though. Plus, I'd totally forgotten about Sheep on Drugs. So I'm going to look through my collection for that album right now. Well, there you go. Um, who else? Uh, Patrick Testa mentioned, which we'll, we'll get into, that Mark Sandman passed away on stage while they were performing in uh, July of 1999 in, in Italy. They were playing a festival, and he had a heart attack. So... This band um, has a you know a tragic story with regards to that. There there has been some activity after that, which is interesting. We'll get to that in the history. Um, Phil Fleming said this is a good list. The Crow was out just on the fact it was commercially successful platinum platinum selling album. Uh, Morphine, well, being from Boston, that album was huge deal and covered top to bottom in the press for a long time. Le Tigre and Sheep on Drugs were never totally my cup of tea. I had to go with that dog. That particular album, I remember Geffen pushing pretty hard for about a minute and half when it was released. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> for the 90s. We really believe in this album for right. the next afternoon. 
for the for this afternoon. Uh, Aaron said it has to be morphine in a close one over the semantics and Fugazi for me. Sean Brown, some sweet ones on here. These Fugazi face to face and morphine records all deserve dig me out run at some point. I'm going with that dog though. The Haydens are ridiculously underrated, and this album is po- all pop goodness. Mike Ciarvino, bunch of great records here. Mike, if I'm mispronouncing your name, please let me know, by the way. Ciara Vino? Ciara. I think it's Ciara Vino because there's an extra A in there. Mom, Manichi can't pronounce. I, 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 I'm legendary for messing up. I just mis- I, I mispronounced correctly. It's a word I've been using Italian for name. F- over 40 years. Okay, Mike said a bunch... Even- even your own family pronounces your name differently. So yeah, it's true. Let's I not get, get, it. get into that. <laughs> I'm the black sheep of the family here. All right. Bunch of great records here, but my vote is for Fugazi. In a body of stellar albums, and hit stands out as being noisy and experimental, but still firmly Fugazi. The, percur- the precursor to arguably their best record. Second choice would definitely be That Dog. Retreat from the Sun is a fantastic album. Gavin. Plenty of good albums here. I love Morphine, one of the more intriguing live sets I've ever seen. I'd love to see Face to Face get a run at some point and always up for some more Fugazi, but I'd prefer the argument. With that, I'm off to watch The Crow. I hope it was The Crow sequel, City of Angels. Not to be... Is it City of Angels? City, yeah, City of Angels. Now, wasn't there an actual movie with like Nicolas Cage called yeah. City of Angels? That yeah, has the Goo Goo Dolls uh, you Iris. Had me, uh, yeah, you had me like confused for a second myself. Now I'm thinking that Iris was in a Crow movie, and I don't think that that's right. <laughs> no, no. Eric Peterson <laughs> said, my prediction is that Fugazi will win. Wrong. But they were covered a year and a half ago. I'm going that dog because they are a band like J- Jellyfish and that they were playing in a sandbox that people were not ready for when they were most active. Interesting. Hmm. Frank Garcia Hell. So many excellent choices, but definitely have to go with that dog. It holds up incredibly well. Kind of shocking they weren't bigger. The hooks are catchy, and it's got a slick production that doesn't get in the way of the original charm of the band. They just repressed this, and all crushed out on vinyl would be good timing to cover it. That's right. Third uh, Man Records just, I, I believe, was the ones who pressed those and put them out. Richard Waterman. Mm, yeah. The semantics rings the bell. And let's see. John, C- John Seaman, this is a hard one. Would love to hear a review of The Crow 2 or Morphine, but I'm going with that dog. I think Retreat from the Sun is a fantastic album with great songwriting, interesting instrumentation, and amazing vocal harmonies. Darren Lehman, it's unfortunate it looks like Face to Face is going to be passed over. This album was a huge change in direction for them as they dabbled more in hard rock and alternative stylings. The drums are amazing. The lyrics reflective. And insightful, as always, there is some great melodic choices with this band and a couple of excellent ballads, too. I hope some people will take the time to give this album an honest listen. Johnny Hooper, Fugazi and Hits, finds the band really exploring their avant-garde side, but they do so with thrilling results. Whitney Bueller said, The Semantics. Michelle Pennell. Pennell. Pennell? Am I overemphasizing? Too much emphasis? I don't know. Uh, all were the albums, but for dissecting, but my vote goes to face to face. Now it's interesting. I didn't do an official tally there, but I felt like fat dog got way more. Yeah. Which that's uh, what I'm saying. Yeah. I was misled again. 
Jay, I have seven accounts, and I always vote for the winner. Is that what's throwing this off? Is that what's doing it? I hope not. I hope it's not my fault. Uh, let's talk. Let's do a brief history of the band. History of the band. So morphing over from Cambridge, Massachusetts, which, if you don't know, is where all the great, uh, you know, Bands were hanging out in in the Boston area in the 80s and 90s, you know, Dinosaur Jr. and Buffalo Tom and the Pixies and all that stuff. There's just, there was a huge scene going on, college rock scene going on there. It was primarily three guys. Mark Sandman, who played bass. Dana Colley, who played horns, and I'll mention what he played. And then Jermaine Dupree, Jerome Dupree. <laughs> Was the not Jermaine Dupree? Jerome Dupree was the drummer, but he swapped out with Billy Conaway. They they kind of were each of them were in and out of the band at various points, but they only had those two drummers. Now, do you know about their instrumentation, Jay? That they, it was a little bit different. Yeah, I remember there. Be, I mean, obviously, before I listened to the record, I remember there being some sort of horn, and I remember they were a three piece, and I knew they didn't have guitars at least live. So Mark Sandman plays a bass, but with only two strings, and he uses a slide to play. And that's on this record. On future records, he would play a a guitar that he created, which he called a tritar, which was a three-string guitar, but one of the strings was a bass string. And he played that with a slide. And everything was tuned to an octave. So, like, and his bass... It's not like he's playing an E and an A string. It's like an E string and then an E one octave up. Gotcha. He also played organ, guitar, and piano on future records because they expanded the sound on, on the future records. And he is your, your lead singer. Dana Colley played baritone sax, tenor sax, double sax, triangle, and backing vocals. Now, what I mean by double sax is um, there's a gentleman... Uh, amazing jazz musician named um, Rasan, I think it's how Rasan Roland Kirk. He's from Columbus, Ohio. He was blind, and he played two horns at once. He developed a way of breathing that he could actually blow into two horns at the same time. Put out a ton of records um, in the seventies. Uh, I think sixties and seventies. And um, just amazing musician. And so uh, Dana Colley used some of that style um, like Roland Kirk did with regards to playing two saxophones at once. And then the drummers were in and out at uh, Jerome. Jerome Dupree started in the band in 1989 with the the other with Dana Colley and Mark Sandman. He left the band in 1991 and then rejoined the band in 93. Billy Conway played drums for that time. And then Dupree left the band again uh, in 93, just as they were recording the album Cure for Pain, which we're going to talk about. So he plays on most of the record, and Billy Conway plays on three songs on the record. And then Billy Conway was the drummer all the way up till the end. Um, and then, But then Jerome Dupree came back at the end as well and played some... Uh, some drums and like I mentioned, Mark Salmon died in 1999 at a festival. 
And after that, the band uh, had time off. Obviously, they they went and did other things, but they started a fund called the Mark Samwan Music Education Fund and started to play as an orchestra, the Orphine, the Orchestra Morphine, where they would play the bands of the song, the song of the the songs of the band, but with um, more instrumentation to fill out the as an instrumental band. Um, and then we'd also have vocalists come in. They had a woman named Lori Sargent, who, speaking of face to face, there was an 80s synth band in in Boston called Face to Face that she played in. And she came in and played um with orchestra morphine and then also joined um Kali and Conway in a band called Twine Men. And then um Kellyanne Conway? <laughs> yeah. And then um Kali and Dupree began began performing as members of Morphine with uh, a new bass player singer guitarist named Jeremy Lyons from New Orleans and um they renamed the group Vapors of Morphine in 2000 that was in 2009 and then the or 2000 yeah 2009 then they reformed or renamed it in 2014 and have basically played in in Cambridge they don't really do a ton of touring or anything and releases so their first album Good came out in 1992. It was released locally first, and then it was which on Accurate Records, and then it was re-released by Ryko Disc. Cure for Pain came out in 1993 on Ryko Disc. All their records, not maybe not all of them, but most of them were, were recorded with the um, at Fort Apache, the legendary studio in Massachusetts with uh, Paul Coldery. Um, yes. What came out in 1995 on Ryko Disc. The album, the follow up, which was their major label album on DreamWorks, Like Swimming, came out in 1997. And then the posthumous album, The Night, came out in 2000. That was recorded with, it was with uh, Sandman, but not finished with Mark Sandman. The band finished it. And it's the only one that features both drummers in terms of like at the same time in the studio. Whereas mm. in the previous records, like they one left and the other one came in, but in this one they were working together. And there's a bunch of guest musicians on various instruments on that. And then they've also had compilations. There was a B sides compilation that was released live albums and um, other releases. So uh, best of, there's a Mark Sandman uh, box set. He was in a band before this called Treat Her Right, which um, I believe is a part of that uh, Mark Sandman uh, box set. So, Jay, were you familiar? I mean, I, did you listen to the records at all when we were in college? Um, I I don't I don't think I listened to the record. I, I probably heard them at in their entirety at some point, uh, particularly this one. I didn't own them. Um, I was familiar with the band sound. I think I knew like Buena really seemed familiar to me. Like that was probably the song that I knew the best. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had a general idea what it was and I remember in the late nineties, this being a pretty hot band. 
Gotcha. I remember uh, not this album specifically. I remember when Yes came out because Honey White was the single. And that got played a lot. And then people said you should listen to the album before it, Cure for Pain. And I, I remember spinning the track Thursday a lot uh, off of this record as a single that one of my, you know, when it, something that wasn't in rotation, I could actually pick something to play. Um, Thursday had a video and it was on Beavis and Butthead. And Buena was in The Sopranos as well as an episode of Darla on MTV in the 90s. So just for the record, it sold 107,000 copies in the United States and 300,000 copies worldwide. Not a big seller, but did well in um, New Zealand and Australia, strangely enough. Charted both places. Let's get into it, Jay. Tell me one thing you liked about Cure for the Pain Cure for Pain by Morphine. It's fun to listen to bands um, you know, explore different sounds, um, use constraints um as a way to, you know, be creative. So I I think it's a fun listen to try to pick apart, you know, how do you create an original sounding rock band that has energy, you know attitude sort of all the things you want from rock and roll but not based on guitar um you know so it makes the the bass play a much more prominent role both in the tones he uses and the way he plays um it can be very guitar-esque with the bass playing and then it can also just be more straight up bass lines so kind of pulling that apart um i enjoyed and then Obviously, the signature part of the band is the saxophones and the role that plays, I would say, more melodically to me um, as I pulled it apart to try to understand, like, what do you what are they doing with the sax and the span? Like, what role uh, does it play for the song and um, essentially what purposes it serve? So it was, um, I think, interesting to hear it as the for the most part, like the the hook, the melodic hook in a lot of cases um, that was either setting up what the vocal would do sometimes playing off it a little bit. So there'd be a vocal line, then a little lead. Um, so I just, I really enjoyed pulling that apart and, you know, the creativity and I imagine this band was a lot of fun live, um, too, you know, um, you know, kind of stripped down, but still sounds very full. Um, really competent players in terms of, you know, drummer's really good. The bass playing is, is really good. Um, and I appreciate like the sax isn't overbearing. It's an instrument that, um, you know, can be, it's loud and it can be take over a mix. Um, and they kind of work with that pretty well in terms of bringing it in and taking it out and pulling it out and really making it a focal point. But, um, you know, giving some space for the rest of the band. Um, vocally, you know, it, it's pretty good. I, I like his voice. It's a, you know, kind of a deeper register. Um, he does a lot of like whisper type vocals and it kind of goes well with the saxophone too, tonally, like between the two of them and then what they do with the bass, it fills in that space that you would um, normally have a guitar taken care of um i think if 
he had a higher voice, it may not work as well. You might have some some dead space. Um, so yeah, just a really creative like idea and how to bring these instruments together in a way that's, I mean, they don't really sound like anybody else, which is hard to do, you know, at this mm-hmm. point in the nineties. So, and for the most part, I don't know that anybody's really sounded like them since. So yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, creativity, reinvention, and just a, a signature sound. Um, that's a lot of fun to pull apart. We used to meet every Thursday, Thursday, Thursday in the afternoon For a couple of beers, then a game of pool We used to go to a motel, a motel, a motel across the street Then the name of the motel was a wagon wheel I think the the point about this not being, you know, a guitar driven band and and that making them unique also is what they they understand how to utilize it because you mentioned about him and and working with the the horn with his vocal Mark Sandman. If you take a song like I'm Free Now, the horn like in parts of that song actually acts as the harmony to his vocal mm-hmm. and it, you know it 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 plays off of him but then it matches him and i'm thinking about like how could could you you know i know that there are really skilled guitar players and and stuff but there are some things that mark sandman does on bass with that slide two string bass and some of the stuff that is happening with the horns that there are like phrases that i don't think you can pull off with a guitar unless you're doing some, a lot of like trickery with regards to effects and stuff, but there are just some really weird bends and the way that you can move between notes on a horn, like slide between the notes and get these. And he does this thing with the bass where he gets this like tremolo effect going with the slide because he's playing those two octaves and then he's playing the slide, or or not two octaves, but he's playing the octave notes. Um, It really sounds unique. And I think that is the thing that really nails this band for me is that not only are they taking this format of a unique bass setup, horns and a rhythm and, and drums with his unique vocal style, but they are maximizing its uniqueness in it with, very little extra you know there's not like a bunch of orchestra strings to accentuate things they didn't bring in an extra keyboard player to do studio stuff like they're doing it and they're creating this very unique sound with just these three guys and i don't think these songs could exist you know with a regular guitar drum bass setup like their simplicity and their stripped down uh, darkness in a lot of ways is what makes them so unique. And his voice is like perfect for it. It's got, it's the right croon that goes with a saxophone. If it was, you know, he, he it would kind of dip into like, if it was a piano, it kind of get in like Tom Waits territory, yeah. which I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, but if it was somebody, you know, I thinking of like Ben Folds, who was, again, it's, it's a setup with an instrument that, 
you know, not be, not being a guitar, you can phrase things differently with piano. And that was again with a, a, a bass did a lot of work in that band, but I don't think Ben folds like vocal would work in this format. Like Mark Sandman's vocal works perfectly in this format, in this, you know, there's a lot of songs about like messed up relationships and, and sort of this outsider uh, status that he has. And with regards to just life in general, just, it's a very um, somber record in, in that sense. Whereas when I think of like Ben Folds, I think about like humor and, and sarcasm and stuff like that, except for brick, obviously that's not, that's not funny. Uh, (laughs) But Hmm. for the most part, like they, I just feel like they nail the content, the sound, everything works in unison. It definitely brought me back. I definitely remember listening to this whole record at some point because everything sounded familiar, whether it was like the horn stabs in head with wings. I think Thursday is a, is a really cool song in terms of the subject matter. It's just a cool little story song. They do enough in each song to, to differentiate them and bring little different melodies in and bring different rhythms in that. Uh, I, I've listened to yes and like swimming. And I definitely feel like this is, I, I don't think I've ever heard the first album good but i think of those three records this one is definitely like top to bottom their best uh overall record so it was a, it was a fun revisit it's also a short record it's only 38 minutes um with opening and closing short instrumental tracks now i'm floating So what doesn't work for you? Well, you know, one of the formulas they they use is, you know, simple blues-based, you know, riffs and songs. And then they use the format as a way to kind of reinvent that. Um, and some of those are more, you know, a little bit more up-tempo. They have some energy. Um, I wish that material in particular just had more, even more grit on it. It was more aggressive. I imagine live it was, um, but something about the recording, like the, the drums just sound very restrained. Like, I don't think he's a super hard hitter. It's more of like a, almost a jazz kind of feel in terms of like how he hits and plays. And it, without that guitar and with the bass, not, super present like it's there but it's not in your face all the time it just doesn't quite have that like attitude grit pop 
that I wish it did. I would, you know, to the point where like, I would like to love to hear his voice pushed a little bit more by the band. Just I think in general that I would say probably those songs, maybe even half the record, I would just love to hear like cranked up another notch in intensity. Now, some of that might be my, you know, I'm not a huge saxophone fan. Mm-hmm. So when I hear saxophone and then a band that's kind of playing restrained and quiet to me, like I'm free now comes across as almost like Kenny G, you know, like <laughs> smooth jazzy kind of sax style and like not a, and yacht rocky like not super rock and roll and uh, i'd prefer it to be you know cranked up a couple notches i'm free now to direct the movie sing a song or write a book about yours truly oh i'm so interesting i'm so great I'm really just a fuck up and it's such a waste To burn down these walls around me Flexing like a heartbeat We don't like to speak Don't talk to me for about a week I'm sorry it just hurts to explain There's something going on that makes my gut sick I got guilt, I got fear, I got regret I'm just a panic-stricken waste I'm such a jerk I was honest, I swear The last thing I wanna do I swear The last thing I wanna do Is if I cause you pain Now, on the stuff that's more um, less, Maybe less like straight blues oriented Like it has more of a swagger um, Or just the format shake just shaken up a little bit more. So like cure for pain is a good example. Like to me, that sounds like Eastry band. Like it has that kind of like floaty intertwiny swagger to it where the lines are going, you know, across each other. It's a little bit more layered and kind of like laid back feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that play with at this intensity sounds perfect. Like that's, that all works for me. Um, I think in spite of me, when they go to the mandolin, which I, th- I think it's a mandolin, um, I think that's a really nice break just tonally on the record um, where you just, you know, it doesn't it's not in the register of a saxophone or bass, um, which I think is, you know, a brilliant move. I think Candy is maybe like from a songwriting standpoint, one of the better songs on the track or one of the better tracks on the album. Um, again, it's more of like a rolling bass line. It's less like that basic blues kind of feel. Um, so I'm more attracted to that stuff and just wish it was a mix of that. And then some rockers that really rocked, you know, had some grit, had some teeth. Um, so that, that's probably my biggest complaint with the record. Interesting. I can hear what you're saying with I'm free now. I think they do a better job on, the stuff that's got a little bit more propulsion, I guess. It doesn't have to be fast, but like all wrong, it's got like a, it's got this like 70s kind of groove to it. You know what I mean? It's got that yep. like little backbeat right. going on. Yep. And that's where Let, I feel like that's where trip. that, yeah. Let's take a trip together. It has the same kind of vibe to it. Like, you know, it almost sounds like a, a, like a Detroit 
soul sound song or something when it starts off. Yeah, I don't have the same issue with regards to the, I guess, volume or or intensity with regards to the the production or or the playing. I definitely would like I definitely like the upper up tempo stuff better. And on the next record, like Honey White is like a perfect example of a a really good up tempo song and it works great as a single uh this album doesn't have that killer single the way that that is for the next record and i don't know if there's any sort of connection between the songs just this just feels like a a really good collection of songs even though there's not like a massive standout track as much as i like you know thursday and Buena. It's funny. It, I would be curious to what you would think of a band. There's a band called, I think there's, I think they're called No More Zoos or Too Many Zoos. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard it. Zora. Percussion and percussion and horn. Yeah, Zora became obsessed with one of their songs at some point. Yeah, they're crazy. They were on like NPR, you know, desk, tiny desk concert, one of those, and I saw them. I was like what is going on here? And then I saw them, they play in like a subway in New York, like, you know, just for fun. And, but they're a touring band. Um, and it's just insane to see what they, you know, pull off as a two piece, how much noise they can make. So I would be interested to hear like, you know, that sort of aesthetic applied to, to this. And I would have been curious to hear, that level of energy, if if Mark Sandman could work with that, um, unfortunately we won't know. But I I feel like, and this is sort of getting into like the the time period of when this was released. You know, we we just did Nirvana, and obviously the the '90s are associated with the huge bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. But to me, what makes the flip side of the 90s so interesting is the stuff like morphine is the is these little bands that had no business getting signed to major labels and for just maybe one record got onto dreamworks or you know like soul coughing uh getting onto a you know a major label for an album or two and these weird beat poet uh you know inspired bands with unusual instrumentation um even as far as bands like you know like cake even or ben folds i mean those are those are when you look at them in the perspective of what was popular in the 90s as far as the mainstream those shouldn't have been the bands that people you know dug but they got by with really good songwriting 
and made something happen. And, you know, Cake is still a touring band and Ben and Ben Folds is still a very prolific, you know, artist and and just entertainer overall. I've seen him live and he's great and he's on TV shows and stuff. And uh, but to me, that is like as important as the big movement of bands is the is this like undercurrent of stuff that could have gone completely unnoticed, but we had this opportunity to hear stuff like morphine, you know, in college radio or, or adventurous independent alternative stations like a CD 101 or 102.5. That would actually pull this off. So I'm glad we're finally getting to it because I know this has been on the radar for a while. I mean, there's a lot of bands that have been on the radar for a while, but I feel like this is one of those oddball, Band. There's no, there's no comparison that I can think of that works the way that Morphine does. I mean, you got the, you got like President of the United States played with you know modified basses and guitars, but they still play with basses and guitars, even though, and they're still like a a pop rock band essentially, even though they were messing with the sound a little bit. And there were bands with horns, but not in the way that, you know, not like this. There you go. So how do you rate it? Were yeah, I'm, better EP, decent single. Yep. I'm at an EP. I I I think it's fairly singular. I think this band has two modes, basically. There's like slow moody, and then up tempo kind of bluesy. And once you hear kind of both of those modes, to me, it's like you pretty much have heard the band. Um, so I would go with candy in spite of me Thursday cure for pain and let's go, um, let's take a trip together. You know, I think Thursday is similar to Buena and I think Thursday is just more, uh, has more to offer. Um, there's just more going on. Um, I also think those are from a songwriting standpoint, um, the stronger songs, you know, I could hear other artists doing those songs and, and then them working. So yeah, I'm in an EP. Well, we're going to start out the second 500 by disagreeing. I'm going to go Worthy Album. I like listening to this top to bottom. Um, I think there are some really strong songs, and then there are some middle-of-the-road songs, but the middle-of-the-road songs are very few. But I, I, I really enjoy this whole thing, and I hope that people will, you know, maybe never got into the weirder stuff from the nineties, we'll give it a listen. Cause it's a, certainly an interesting and unique record that, um, it doesn't really have any peers. So I do need to check out the earlier record. And I actually haven't heard the night either. The record that was released after Mark Sandman passed away. So I believe all that stuff is streaming everywhere. You can, you can, uh, get it, it is. There's yeah, some B sides and bootleg yep. albums too. Yeah. Rego Disc is pretty good about getting all their stuff up for their artists. So we need to thank the suggestor for this record, Mr. Gary Moran. If you would like to suggest an album for us to revisit, you can drop it in our poll by going to digmeoutpodcast.com, going into the submit an album link, drop the album in, tell us why you're picking it, and it'll make it into a future poll which you can vote on by becoming a patron at 
Patreon, join the union, dmounion.com, digmeoutunion.com. It's also where you get to uh, get access to our exclusive content. By When you sign up for our box newsletter, it's also posted at Patreon. Uh, we do reviews every week, a couple of new releases, as well as uh, the books, movies, and records that are coming out each week. And uh, Jay, didn't you, did you just watch the Google or the Google, the go-go's documentary? I did. You're going to write up a review for that. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I put it on discord. Oh, Jay, <laughs> don't give it away for free. What are you doing? Well, I just mean, I've, I've been discussing it on there, right? No, you gotta, you should write something up. One minute review. Hey, I don't know how to write it. That's true. It's disappointing. Tim, I never learned to read. No. It's That's okay. why I agreed to do a podcast <laughs> on music. Did you uh did you check out the Primal Feel record uh Metal Commando? I did. That, I, that we uh, it was pretty good. It's pretty good. I liked it. I got to say yeah. I was not expecting anything from the we Germans. A, a good shot of power metal. It's it's up there. It's you know in the spirit of Priest. He's got his own little oh. flavor going on. <laughs> he he was in a Judas Priest uh, cover band, the lead singer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the kind of content you're going to get via our box newsletter. You get We get <laughs> review records by bands such as the Psychedelic Furs and Primal Fear, which you might not even know Primal Fear exists, but they have 13 albums out. So there you go. You, you did Massive Attack, Gang of Four, Bush, Jarvis, the Jayhawks. Paul Weller, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah, great, great year for releases. Lots and lots of good stuff for our purposes. And also for our purposes, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Digby Out. Digby Out.